There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Hey guys, welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 44. The song you're listening to is by the late Phil Park under the band name Electric Swords, and the song is called Deep Space. So little uh, business to get out of the way. Number one, I will be telling comedy jokes at Laughing Skull in Atlanta, November 11th through the 14th, and then the week after that, uh, November 18th through the 20th at the Addison Improv. So come to those shows. As I've said a million times, it sucks to perform for zero people. But I will. I'll do it if I have to. Uh, so here's a little backstory on this show. Uh, I've been blabbing about this awesome show, Terriers, on FX, uh, that my girlfriend and I watch. And uh, the, one of the stars of the show, Donald Logue, whose work I love, uh, actually tweeted me back. And so I was like, dude, come on, show, we gotta promote this for you. And he agreed. And, uh, and then so I also had uh, my girlfriend, Janet Varney, come on as well, who's one of the coolest, funniest people I know, honestly. She... Uh, She's on a show called Dinner and a Movie on TBS, and then also was a co-founder and producer of SF Sketch Fest. Even if I didn't know her, I would say it is the best comedy festival uh, in the country, and that takes place every January in San Francisco. So uh, you can go to sfsketchfest.com to see uh, what incredible acts have performed in the last nine years, if you don't believe me. Uh, and then you will see. Oh, I'll show you with the internet. Anyway, here is episode number 44 of the Nerdist Podcast with the sublimely awesome and cool... Don't alone. Intro! Now entering Nerdist.com I think we're, we're recording. Does Donald sound good? Do I sound okay? Everybody. Can, you can hear us. How do I sound? You sound fine. So I for know. the first time in 44 episodes, welcome to the Nerds Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I am Chris Hardwick. This is Matt Myra, Jonah Ray, Janet Varney sitting in over there. I don't know what I'm doing here. You're it's here. Beca- you're here. You're, you're here and uh, it's, well, you're here because. To give the feminist perspective. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. I'm here to make you all uncomfortable. I want to make fun jokes so bad. And I plan so to stand by that. make them too. Uh, I, I, I guess today is Mr. Donald Logue, who's here. And I have to say, it is thrilling that you're here, because that means fucking Twitter works! Yeah. I went on Twitter, I, I started a mini-campaign for your show, Terriers, which awesome. Janet and yeah. I believe is one of the best shows on television. Oh, thank Couldn't you. love thank it you. more. And I think, and, and I, I, what I'm about to say I know is the bane of your existence right now, and I apologize. When I saw the posters for it, I assumed it was a show about dogs. I know it's. I know people are confused by that. No, in a way, it's actually good to hear that to embrace it, and it might be good for every. You know, 
just to inst- it's it's just to identify the elephant in the room and mm-hmm. the emperor is naked there's a problem with that you know and you can dance around it or whatever it's just like there was a and i, I got a little busted by walking around saying it's not a dog show it's mm-hmm. not a show about dogs and it's like not about like you know whatever they had their their concept and they did it and, and and they always do really good campaigns this one was confusing for people so i need to call it for what it you know what it is yeah. it was it was a little funny on a um a more kind of narcissistic level where i've always been on shows where you're not you, you've never been the beneficiary of like oh there's a bus that goes by with your face on it or whatever <laughs> right. so yeah. so your my friends were like oh well at least when you're on an fx show that's the one thing that's guaranteed you're, <laughs> show, your, your mug is going to be everywhere and it's like well there's a dog <laughs> michael and i are like these spots in the background but like uh you know so so That's the why the, the star does not star the Jack Russell Terrier from Frasier, who I think people assumed right. might have moved on to. That's why adventure. I tuned in. I thought it you was going to be Eddie's like show. The network president did say, like, well, you know, the, the most disturbing thing is that people have left, actually, during the initial viewings, Nielsen-style or whatever. And it's like, well, yeah, because the people who want the dog on the show <laughs> were are attracted past. to it. Yeah, yeah they're leaving, man. The I people think... that you want to watch the show didn't even give it a nanosecond <laughs> yeah. worth of... These old, like, flyover state couples who are like, I did not see one terror on that show yeah. what happened <laughs> but it, but it is a it is a phenomenal show and and, and also the- in FX's defense I feel like I knew and I'm uh, of course a little more savvy than maybe somebody who isn't in the business but I knew that I wanted to look into what new shows FX had because they're they've been making great shows so at, yeah. at least in, in that defense and, and, marketing and, campaign aside like I knew right. I want to know more and in yeah. defense of F- <laughs> it, that might the marketing side of it might not be the issue at all <laughs> people might just be like you know you and Michael Raymond James we don't like you I don't <laughs> you, guys, you guys have such a you guys uh, and you know I, I'm sorry I don't mean to slobber all over your emotional knob on the show, but but you guys have such an incredible chemistry together, yeah. and uh, and and the funny and you know so when we first started watching the show, and I'm like, and who is this girl who's playing his sister? Like, what great casting! And I look it up, yeah. like, it's your fucking twin sister, your twin yeah. sister, my younger, so actually great. my younger. Sister, oh, I thought she was yeah. your twin sister. Someone had written that. Yeah, my she's uh, Karina, who was born in Methuen, Mass. Oh, nice. That's nice. um, very close to little. Yeah, my, my twin right. sister lives in Princeton. But it's funny because there was, we used a picture of me and my twin sister, and then they superimposed the face of the actress playing her as a daughter, or like the young girl or whatever. But <laughs> it was very odd. Um, but, uh, you know, that was that was pretty amazing to be able to do. And, and what was weird was Sean Ryan had worked with Karina before he worked with me. He worked with her on Lie to Me and I think The Unit. And, he, and Karina was in the first two episodes of True Blood. Mm-hmm. But... So they said, how do you feel about having a schizophrenic sister on the show? And I was like, that's fantastic. And they're like, well, how do you feel about your sister playing? I'm like, of course, you know, she's great. And so they're like, great, great. And this was before the, this was kind of as the season was starting. And I said, so I can tell my mom and dad, right, who are always like, what's, you know, help Karina, help Karina. Sure. I can tell my mom and dad that Karina's on the show, that this is all. And they're like, yes, yes, yes. I can tell my sister, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden I started getting these emails from people going, you know, these different, um, actresses saying uh, oh I saw the breakdowns hey don't you think I'd be a pretty good fit as your sister I'm like uh, my sister's playing my sister and then I discovered that no they had to they, it was open to casting oh for, for the union you know just just the network no one felt we just want to see everybody you know, it's like, we you know what know you do with we... someone when you do that to someone who feels like it's in the bag form it there's they'll never get it yeah it's like breaking their legs right yeah. before the race 
And so somehow, you know, she had to go through all that stuff and test for it and still won. Oh, my God. And oh, wow. She, That's great. But I was like, look, first of all, you're not going to find anyone better straight up. Maybe not even Meryl Streep as far as I'm concerned. Like my sister's kind of, and, and I'm biased because I've known her since she was this ingenious two-year-old that was <laughs> just funny as hell. She's incredibly good. And, and, and I said, How, who else is going to provoke an emotional response? Yeah. You know, and, and, and I said, God forbid, look, you're going to do what you're going to do. You're going to cast who you're going to cast. But if they suck. Oh, my God. No, that, that <laughs> character, those so kind limited. of characters can go so far, right, like, right, south right. so quickly if they're not. And she so underplays it in the most awesome way. Yeah, right. that was funny, too, because we're so busy while we're doing it. We don't know what episode's coming up and stuff. And so, boom, all of a sudden, it's like, ooh, my sister's here. Oh, it starts, and she's doing a scene. And, and I don't know if we send her to the bathroom to get aspirin or the guy's got a headache or some, some this Linda's character. But so we go running in the bathroom and she's like, she's standing there weirdly behind, like yeah. tucked up against the shower. And I'm like, oh, awesome. She's, she's, she's embraced the character. She's done her homework. She's doing something cool with it. Good, let's keep going. That's awesome. Now, I don't, uh, I, I don't, I don't think, I'm pretty sure we've never met but when you were doing the Jimmy the Cab Driver ca- image campaign for MTV, I was hosting a show there at the time. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which show? Um, the the uh, singled out comedy uh, broadcast. It was a dating show. I hosted a ridiculous dating <laughs> show on MTV. Were you doing it from from the? Were you doing it out of New York? Out of those? No, we were the only the... show that was at the time was based out of LA. There was really no LA presence for MTV, and then. Right. After a few years, then they started doing more and more stuff, and now they have this compound in Santa Monica. But it was really just, you know, like, we were doing the show at the same time, and then MTV had a whole set, and this was what was so ingenious about them at the time, and I don't know if they still have it, but they had a whole department that was just devoted to image spots. Interstitials, yeah. yeah, yeah the guy named Abby Trickouli. Uh, Abby Trickouli, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and they had um, Beavis and Butthead, and, and you know Dennis Leary had done those with Ted Demi, and then uh, and um, Toby Huss. Toby Huss did the yeah. with, Phil Monk, with Phil Morris, and he actually yeah. did a bunch of different ones where he was like a dude with long hair, and he's like, oh, yeah. good smell. Randy the Redwoods, yeah. too. They did Randy the Randy, Redwoods. Randy the Redwoods was more of that, a little bit the older era but like yeah the beginning of that department so before there was anything like viral viral whatever before any kind of potential youtube or internet or mtv was really the only place you you could go if you you had these weird 45 second you know performance pieces or whatever they were so so did you pitch that to them or did abby come to you or how did no what happened was um uh, my friends uh jesse parrots who who was a bass player in a band called the Lemonheads, and my mm-hmm. friend Clay Tarver, who was in a band called Bullet Volta. Anyway, my best friends from college in Boston. They always knew I could just riff in character and different characters. And then I'd come out here to ostensibly have some kind of normal acting career, which which I had you know I had a modicum of success. But they were like, "Look, the stuff sucks. It doesn't show what you can do." You know, then now you're auditioning for stuff that you don't like, and when you don't get it, you're mad. And and you know, so why are you doing this? Why don't you just come out here and we'll just we got you know, so we got a video camera, borrowed this guy's car, drove around and riffed, and it was actually Clay and Jesse who had the thought like, let's not just do this for nothing. Let's do this specifically with the idea of doing it for MTV mm-hmm. without contacting MTV, and talk about pop culture, and it was fun, and it was easy because like. Videos were so amazing, and they provided their own this narrative that he could dip into, like it was all real. This world, and at the time, you know, humor was so not that it's changed a lot, but at some point, you're just so uh, 
beaten down by how hip and ironic everything is. Oh my god, yeah. That like, you know, everything's about Sergio Valenti jeans or watching the Jerry Lewis telethon for the wrong reasons or right. you know like <laughs> you know like listening to like like uh mentally disabled people sing choir shit, you know, or whatever it is. So like kids I'm about kids to say words that are not going to I just put a joke in my act about how I'm pretty sure hipsters eat with their assholes because they consume everything wrong. Like I get so right. mad. Like can't you just appreciate stuff? I can't on even a- say who it is, but at some point one night there's a guy wearing Sergio Valenti's and drinking a 40 and a pretty wealthy New York dude and trying to you listen to this and this is like another person this person's you know mentally retarded and they're, they're here they're playing the cello and it's like at what point is there anything real in here oh. right yeah. and what if you took someone who was just a real like the weird thing is just walking naively through this world of hip of incredible you know self-assured hipness and someone who's so not like that but is so confident that they'd be fine with him and okay and they kept pressing us to do like somehow have Jimmy interact with real MTV land. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, I mean, first of all, if he, if anyone famous got in the car with him, he would just clam up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay, we, we thought of something where like, if whole, like say Courtney Love's band had a contest, like some viewer contest and you could go see whole play live backstage at some big event, you know, um, that, okay, Jimmy can win this. And of course, like leading up to it, like what members only jacket to wear, what except, and he goes to it, and I'm like the the way it has to go down is he has to be backstage, you know, and so and and just kind of be out of place and introduce like just blown off and in some in a bunch of stagehands ways, some guy just yells at him, you know, uh-huh. and he's going backwards, he trips over, and he snaps the neck on Courtney's guitar <laughs> she calls him an effing asshole or whatever and then he goes in the bathroom and cries <laughs> I'm like this would work in our that universe right. yeah. you know what I mean but in any other universe it was like yeah he should just riff with these I'm like he doesn't exist in their world right, right. that's why he loves it so much did they try to develop a show basically Because you like- know what there was a lot of that kind of talk of doing something at ABC and then and then we were going to do a film at Paramount and kind of unluckily for us, some guy named David Gale took over MTV oh, yeah, yeah. Films. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so we had pitched it to Sherry Lansing, who was down with the film, and J.J. Abrams was producing it. And um, and then David Gale, and because it was an MTV product, David Gale had it. He's, he kind of wasn't interested. He kind of was interested in making film mm-hmm. and not movies that he considered were from these kind of inferior MTV characters or whatever. And then he made Joe's apartment. No, that see, <laughs> the problem was he inherited Joe's apartment, so he considered everything to be Joe's apartment. And they would make that argument. I'm like, look, a human being like Jimmy McBride, with whatever backstory we've created, is far more interesting in the way that Ernest Borgnine was in Marty than talk, <laughs> talking cockroaches are, are, your, are, your, like, are your five-second joke that goes no further. Like, yeah, a, a human yeah. being you can mine. And it never, you know, and because it didn't happen there in a kind of, um, it was hard to do it. You couldn't really do it anywhere else. And it basically just, you know, went away. And maybe that's probably the best thing that that happened for it in a weird way. But I remember being frustrated at the time because, um, you know, but at the same time, it was a weird, it was a weird thing to be him because people might not remember, people from our generation would remember it, but... Uh, you know, being oldies, that, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but you know, there was a lot of heat to do stuff like talk shows as Jimmy McBride, and mm-hmm. and uh, and I would never have been able to do something like Terriers yeah. 15 years later. Like I, I always wondered why Paul Rubens would go on talk shows as Pee Wee Herman. 
I'm like, you're more, you know, that's a character you invented. Right. You know, what's fun is putting it away and being you and then going, like, embodying it. And and so, because it's like, you'll live and die, you know, you don't want to walk down the street in a bow tie and live. Yeah, but yeah. some people, and, and like, and, you know, I don't well, know. you're in comedy, so you know, you see that weird... I'm, I'm more on the stand-up side, but I definitely see like like in ske- like with Groundlings or you know like where Groundlings, which I feel is so like character-based, right? And I feel like well, because that's what they want to take to Saturday Night Live, exactly. Yeah. And and I and I think that um, but but for some people, you know, especially working at the UCB, where you see a mashup of improv sketch and, and stand-up, you see like I'm not comfortable doing hardcore character sketches because I like to be able to just step out of it and be like, no, I'm just me and I'm fucking around. Right. Some people loathe the idea of having to be themselves ever. And so I don't know if that's Paul's case, but other people at UCB, they will not go on stage unless they're a character because they just need they just need that. Like, that just makes them comfortable in some way. So I wonder if maybe that's, that's part of what it is with him. But if people get to know you as a certain character, that's also something that happens with the public and the industry is they don't want to know that you're anything well, right, else. They, they don't, don't want to know yeah, you're but, anything but Well, that was the point was, like, they weren't interested in having you as a guest as yourself. Right. So then you're not a guest on anything. But the thing was, like, I can't, I, you know, you, that can't be what defines you as... Yeah. A person. I mean, what what was? There is something freeing though about adopting a character, and it's kind of like this weird Greek mask that you hide behind, and then you get really super honest with everything, you mm-hmm. know. And you can be like, "Well, I'm, I'm just." It was all improv. Yeah. So I'm being very honest about some guy pouring a Dr Pepper over my head and punching me in the face. Sometimes when we put masks on, we're actually taking them off. Oh, oh, we'll be right back you. after these. No, there's no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but you know I. I I would prefer, like, the UCB style of stuff. And, in fact, Clay, who did, Clay Tarver, who directed the Cab Driver stuff with Jesse, directed some UCB stuff when they had their show. What show was they had a television show? Uh, it was show. just Uprices. Oh, yeah. 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 And then uh, I can't remember what it was on. Comedy Central. Central. Comedy yeah. Central, that's right, yeah. And Phil Morrison was directing some, too. And oh, he was? Phil's great. Yeah, because back then I think Phil was going out with Amy Poehler. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and so... And then, yeah, yeah. And I met Amy because Phil had, we were going to do this movie after the Dow of Steve. We were going to do this movie called Flying V about this guy who ostensibly teaches heavy metal guitar to these kids in New Jersey. And then Phil's like, oh, my girlfriend's going to fill in a bunch of roles and stuff. And it was Amy. (laughs) And you're like, God, she's got a lot of energy, man. Man, she's funny as a five-year-old. This <laughs> Phil's girlfriend's really funny. She's amazing. She's the best improviser I've ever seen on stage, I think. I know I have so many improv friends and I improvise, but I the times I've seen her live on stage, I've just been blown away. But like, I love oh, that this about is from the, another planet. This I, is amazing. I think that's what's kind of cool about the improv world and maybe this is against the character based world or whatever is you know that kind of style that feeling is like that real joy of getting together with other people and being yeah. like excited by what they're doing and and um, and it's exciting to watch and then the other side is this weird competitive <laughs> world the super competitive world of comedy that's just kind of nihilistic and weird and not supportive but yeah. you know I, I, it's very di- I don't know I, I can only really do the stuff where you're in character and then you do monologues mm-hmm. like watching people do a group improv that comes together and just starts to jam in a way that you can't anticipate is it's insane and it's really it's kind of such an amazing skill yeah 
I just, everyone, when you go in, you just hate that, like, can't say no crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the rules. I'm not, no, we're not the walking rules. into the laundromat. Yeah. <laughs> no. Wow, this barbershop's crazy. <laughs> no, nah, barbershop. Yeah. yeah, we're in a, we're in a golf course, and it's yeah. very safe. Your head's on yeah. fire. No, it's not. No, yeah. Yeah. no that's ice you're seeing. What? Why yeah. did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> the opposite thing. Yeah. You're my dad. I'd rather not. I'd rather yeah. not. Well, Next. then scene. Fucking scene. Just <laughs> rule. But, uh, yeah, I know with UCB, it's just, their thing is just, is how fast they can figure out what they call the game. Like you, if you, you know, like when they're improvising as a group, it's just it's dogpiling on that thing that they know. Like, all right, that's the game. That's that's where we're all gonna yeah. start riffing around. And like some of those, you know, like Sean Conroy is fucking amazing. Yeah. And, and, and they're so amazing in different ways. I mean, the 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 to be following the same set of rules. Yeah. And to see how everybody approaches those rules differently and how they bend and break them differently and the way they complement each other's personalities on stage even when they're doing characters. Yeah. It's, it's so, so helpful inspiring. for actors though. I mean, I was even talking to David Keckner who does, you know, stuff oh. over at the Improv. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we yeah. love David. And he's so great and so we were talking and he, he's so fantastic and I remember him walking out just for improv, like when he walks out, it's no blank slate. He, if he's coming into a scene, like and you're, you're floating out and you're making entrances and exit, he has such a clear emotion going on. And, and I was telling, I was trying to tell my son because he was asking me how to act and stuff like that. And I was, I, I, in a roundabout way, I was trying to explain like how whatever fuels you, that's what's fueling you. Not, not this really weird cold world of black and white dialogue because then you can start getting into I talk you talk and everything starts getting two-dimensional but mm-hmm. like this real really make it emotional and then once the, once the emotions are kind of true then everything else that's coming or going doesn't really matter like even in I- improv yeah some people can say things that are incredibly clever but most of the time it's just the emotional commitment mm-hmm. yeah. that yeah. makes me lose my mind and think it's brilliant you get, busted for, doing, you get busted for doing jokes and improv like like real yeah. hardcore improvisers fucking hate it. it makes them mad when you come on and you throw like joke clever witty lines into stuff and they're like yeah. well now you're just trying to be funny yeah. and you need yeah. to be in the scene right, right. And exactly you're not in the scene yeah and it's a, it's a that's a that's an interesting thing because you mentioned game with ucb and that's sort of the number one rule for them but the improv olympic is so about being authentic and being honest and taking your time that's kind of like in, in knowing a little bit about how the way they yeah, teach. Yeah, and the I.O. has, like, has Keckner and Pat Finn and Adrian Winner. Well, and, Beer Shark Mice is one of the and, most And Jack McBrayer. Like, I remember doing a, you did the Armando show. You've done the Armando right, show. Right, like, yeah, I did yeah. an Armando show, which is a, a monologue-based improv where, you know, they have a guest. With your people. friend who was on Terriers. With, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. With Gene and oh, Jessica. Yeah. Oh, P.S. Jamie Denbo, who's on we your love, show. Of course, yeah, Jamie. I just saw Jamie today, yeah. We love Jamie. Yeah, We've been so friends for years. We're about the guys, a couple of the guys from Convoy are on the show. Alex well, Fernie. Alex Fernie and Alex Berg. The Alex Berg, yeah. yeah. So good. That's awesome. Yeah. But the, but those where you come out and you do a monologue and then they improvise around your story, you know, you, you have to tell authentic stories to give them thing, oh, yeah. things to improvise around. You can't come out. They hate it when stand-ups come out and do their act. Because they can't yeah. improvise around There's jokes. To I mean, hold this yeah. no, and, and no even, even weird, like Jimmy McBride. I mean, whatever. It's tangential, but when people, and this is so odd because you can be like the nicest person in the world, and and everything is cool, and you understand. Like if 
whatever, misbehavior, whatever. It's like, I get it. He's coming from a hard place. The guy's had cancer for two years. You know, right. he's going through a tough time. Comes Someone makes a bad comic suggestion to you, you want to kill him. <laughs> you know? Like, wouldn't it be funny if, uh, oh, please don't say it. Keep your fucking mouth shut. No, it's not funny, dude. And this is fucking why, okay? Because this, that, this, it violates fucking everything I, you know. And thank you for wasting my time by yeah. having to explain oh, that shit. all to you. Oh, shit, here you come again with your fucking <laughs> funny if you idea. Have to, if you have to preface anything, was if, uh, wouldn't it be funny if that oh, is yeah. probably and then, not going to be? And also, it goes along the lines, too, of, like, it's trying to be jokey or clever or quippy or weird like that, which always, you know, that's... But if you start from the emotional place, if you come from, you know, like, a, even those watching those videos, it would be like, okay, here's a serious story. Like, it's um, whoever, whoever it is, um, you know, Axel's really going crazy. And he's and and he's got to get out of town. And now he's on an aircraft carrier, and he can't take this shit anymore. He's gonna jump off the aircraft. Whatever it is, if you follow some narrative and you really invest in it, then you can have something to talk about that's completely right. retarded because because it is what it is. Right. But if it's just a series of jokes and you know, it, it, you never go far with cleverness, really. I think. No, and and that's why that's why people who do you know, I found my my, my biggest struggles with trying to do improv was that. I have too much of the stand-up gene, which is a very narcissistic medium. And so you you always want to, you know, like stand-ups are notoriously bad improvisers in, in groups because you always want to, you always yeah. have an urge to take control of the scene. That and was Robin Williams. And why aren't, right. why aren't they laughing yet? Why aren't they laughing yet? Why aren't they laughing yet? Yeah, and you're not, you're not Robin Williams would do that improv stuff where they're like three people skiing. And he's like, you guys go back to the lodge. <laughs> <laughs> because you know what, man? I've got the trajectory in my mind and I'm not going to hear anyone take me in another yeah. direction. Well, yeah, he used to show, he would show up a couple years ago at UCB during the improv nights he and was. just like ask if he could play yeah. and he would just show up and he would do that a lot where he'd just jump in a scene and go and now and then it would just be his his show <laughs> from there on yeah, out. To be fair, to be was it funny? Was it good? No, but he would like the, the times he would play along were amazing and just to see him be that quick and that uh, when he, he was inclusive. He came from a good place. You know, yeah. he came from a good place. He always had a good Look, there's a lot of pressure on guys like that because yeah. they have a big comic moment back in the late 70s. And I remember watching this stand-up on HBO back in El Centro, California, like, this guy's genius or whatever. And then after that, he's got to be genius every time he opens his mouth. And when he came by, when I was in college in the mid-'80s and he came by and he was like, we, we were in school in Boston, he's like, making a bad Boston accent and making 50 Boston, like, common jokes. Like, <laughs> like you all hang out on Boston. Like, fine, we've never been to Boston Commons. Dude. We're across the river from there. Like, like oh, you like, read some book about, like, the place that mm-hmm. the main thing, and, and then they'll feel familiar. And I was like, God. And from the perspective of, like, a super judgmental college asshole, <laughs> it was falling flat, you know? Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to actually make the uh, 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 what was supposed to be a smooth segue, but it's going to come out incredibly awkwardly. But I was going to say that I love Robin Williams when he relaxes into a role and when he's doing, like, really great acting yeah. in a movie. And I was also going to say that that is one of the things that we observed about, just to mention Terriers, and also just really anything I've ever seen you in um, 
and uh, and I'm buddies with Kirk Fox, and I and I oh, yeah, was, yeah. I'm such a Kirk, fan yeah. of, of of your tennis movie of tennis. Oh, anyone. thanks. Which yeah. I thought and, was a good. We I thought was a good flick. I, I thought love he it. was fantastic in it. It's so good. And I was gonna. I wanted to ask you about that in terms of talking about the difference between writing and having a character like Jimmy, and then having a movie that feels <clears> so personal. And maybe that's because I know a little bit about right, both super, of you being totally, tennis players and how personal it was. Totally but, personal movie. Yeah, and your was, mom taught tennis in Nigeria. I read online. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My my mom. Yeah, with the worst grip system known to man. Like, whatever, <laughs> she was teaching people how to hold a racket. But, you know, we're talking a long time ago. Yeah. So, but, um, yeah, I got turned on to tennis for my mom. And uh, I met this guy, Kirk Fox, who had played professionally. Um, at what, like, where, how, and at what level, it uh, remains debatable. Like, Absolutely. I ain't going to press you on that final where you supposedly beat Boris Becker. But the yeah. weird thing about Kirk <laughs> is he, he could. Yeah. And we've played together, we've played a lot of pros, and when Kirk's on fire, it's like those guys have a hard time hanging with him, and he's a 6'5 comic, you know, great. But the thing is, of course, when, when the pressure was on when he was younger, when, when the job is to be a really good tennis player, he's going to self-sabotage. Right. But when it's like, I'm just this guy who's 6'5", and I'm a comic, oh, and there, the i got way. no pressure to be the guy who, who's good here, I'll, yeah. uh, you know, and it's, it's like that for all of us in life in a weird way, like... To go on The Tonight Show and sing would be horrifying. To go on the, or I used to do these things on The Late Show where I'd just be like the dude who shows up and I sing like a Loverboy song. And everybody's like jamming out. And then then I leave and they're like, wow, that was great. Who was that, Dave? And he's like, I don't know, Paul. I have no idea. (laughs) But I'm like, to sing like that when you know you're just playing a joke on yourself, yeah, the pressure's off. So, but, um, you know, the thing with Kirk too was he was, I found very, he had come from this place and he'd been doing stuff with Polly Shore or something where it was very presentationally always always pushing hard to make these moments and I'm like acting doesn't exist in like your your lines don't exist in quotes like it's like you're holding your breath and yeah. you're busting this thing out it's it's this emotional terrain that you're just kind of cruising over and it's you know the the words are almost not that important at that stage and mm-hmm. and um I think it was a really good exercise for him that whole film and the thing about terriers was there's there's I, I just did a job that was really goofy like some shark movie even after terriers and i just kind of had to take a job and and i was i was worried about just acting again like showing up having lines and it required real goofiness and part of me was like you know what it may be good to get back to that but some of those things that like Acting is a very weird medium because, as opposed to stand-up or music, which I which I love and would probably prefer in ways, your sensibility could be um, whatever. Your sensibility could be Elliot Smith. That's what you love at musically. You know, you just like really smart singer songwriters, really kind of dark minor chords and interesting lyrics. And as an actor, that's your sensibility. But you're showing up for a guy who writes all the tunes for Ricky Martin and wants you to, <laughs> to act them that sure. way. That's how they're sure. a screenwriter. That's the way they like movies. That's what, And so you're like, man, and ain't your, you know, you know, and so you're, you're showing up. People have wild, wildly divergent tastes, which is also what's kind of cool about it because, like, on a show like Terrors, I have to say, <clears throat> weirdly, we were very well received by critics across the board. There's a couple. There's, like, some, you know, 
And of course, you get really personal. Like, there's some guy from Orlando or something that hated it. You're like, yeah, of course, because you live with your grandma and your cats. And to, you know, like if if what I did appealed to you, I would feel like I was doing the wrong thing. Like, right. If the music my band plays is something that you'd like to listen to, then I right. think my band would suck. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's like so. But you know, I write for the Tulsa Star Gazette, yeah. and I did not understand this at Hate all. Hate away, sir. You Hate for, away. You went to, we went to Tulsa on this um, weird promo trip that we did, and it was actually like we went to the Tulsa State Fair. It was fun. Um, State fairs are great. Tulsa played Notre Dame and beat them, which sucked last weekend, too. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, so we, we – you know – it's just a weird – what was nice about this, though, was – and I think there was a little bit of a fight because at first – and I have to say, like, in – and this really is for Ted Griffin who created the show, and um, he had written Ocean's Eleven and stuff. And I, I never was like I, – I saw them, but I, I, I never – I'm not attracted to super slick and cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, to You know, my, like, my favorite movie would be My Name is Joe, some Peter Mullen Scottish filmers. I like really kind of real life and gritty and – um, and, and so Ted wrote this, and, and it's his world. And, and the pilot, there was a lot of very super specific dialogue that almost sounded almost sounded noirish from the 40s or, you know, he was found whacked down by the pier, you know, like whatever. <laughs> it's like San Diego, which is kind of where I grew up. And, and so as the series progressed, Ted really embraced writing more towards away from any kind of jokiness whatsoever, mm-hmm. more towards the more poignant emotional scenes. And and also for someone who writes films, because like people who even big time screenwriters, like they write these films and they're told to get off the set. Yeah. You know, they're or or people take them and rewrite them or whatever. But like when you're in television, when you create it and you're down there on the set every week, now you start to see like midstream, like, oh, we could do this and they could say this and you can go there. And it's this ever changing Dynamic, so it's kind of an exciting world. But he started writing more, I think, for the kind of emotionally, the emotional veracity of the of the show, which I think is the thing that surprises people the most about the show is just like, holy shit, I'm a, I'm a kind of tough guy, and I, I when when your sister goes back to the insane asylum, I'm, I'm busting into you know, whatever it is. And it's like because it, it feels like pretty raw yeah. in that regard. So, and it's hard because when things are really when it's when it's overly clever, you know, and it's a hard thing because it's hard to write. I get it, but when it feels like someone's pushed their chair back from their computer with that, like, what a line! <laughs> yeah. well, take, and I was like, and my sister's so brave this way, and I'm not in terms of the right. There was shit that we used to do where it's like, I see her, I've just her husband's d- dead, or I've slept with this woman, and it's like she realizes what I've done, and there's some speech about how you'll never finish the hole in your wall at your house because that's the kind of man you are. It's like, hey, man, you pay us to do it with our eyeballs. We don't need to say this <laughs> right. shit. Right. It kills the moment saying it. Let us try it without dialogue. Oh, wow. Let's see that's how much awesome. you can do. You no, know, because that's... Because my sister was always doing things like, I want to go back up in the attic. I feel safer there. I'm much safe. She's like, you... You pay me to convey that without dialogue, <laughs> which is true. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's like. My God, so David Mamet would just shoot her in the head. He's <laughs> like the opposite, right? He makes it all about, it's all about the words, the words, the words. I think that Mamet. The fucking like, words. I think that Mamet, yeah. I can't do it. I mean, I can't, I can't, well, I, got I can't busted. espouse that belief. I went I to drama can't. school in, um, in England briefly, and it was like, it's called the British American Drama Academy, and it was kind of like 
National Lampoon Drama Academy in a way. Was it Bada in Oxford? It was in Oxford, but they had moved it to, they had a year-long program at Regent's College in London. And so I showed up like two days late, and my first thing is we have some drama criticism class taught by some guy who writes for The Guardian or something. It's very, it was Mm -hmm. so, I just came in at the end of his thing, and it was so arrogant about how, basically like, you know, English playwriting is genius because it's emotional and it's, it's intellectual and operates on these different levels. There are some decent American playwrights, basically like <laughs> as if you're watching gorillas oh, no. <laughs> chanting to themselves and beating their chests and like, you know, it's just so fucking dismissive of American writing. And, and I was like, I take exception to that, like in Mamet and this, and you're, you're, and you're just throwing those names around like Mamet, Mamet, sure. Mamet. And so then we go through the room and introduce ourselves, and the guy sitting next to me is like, I'm Tony Mamet, and, uh, <laughs> and you're talking about my, my older brother or whatever. Whoa. And he became a really good – he actually produced the tennis movie that Kirk and I did. Nice. Tony, we've remained friends. And, and so I hung out with his brother too, which was, you know, as a, as a kind of college theater guy, like there's no greater. There's like Sam Shepard and David Mamet. Mm-hmm. Right. And – it is weird because I wonder. I all with 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 David Mamet. You have to think there's an element. You know what? That's bullshit. Because his whole thing is um, a buddy of mine, Jamie Foley, directed Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, mm-hmm. and he goes, "It was crazy directing all those guys because they're all different. It's like Ed Harris and you know Al Pacino Jack and, and Jack Lemmon and Alec Kevin Spacey, Alec, oh yeah, and like it goes on and and, and um, Alan Arkin, yeah, and so Ed Harris and Alan Arkin were kind of going there having a hard time figuring out what to do with this one scene and they're like well let's call David and let's figure out where we were right before this and where we're going he goes it doesn't fucking it doesn't matter you know the only thing that matters is the words right there <laughs> and there's there's an element where I'm like there's the people who are so into the whole method that you were right. like no, I get it as a reaction to there's a but, bit of both, but you can't right. buy into that entirely because it yeah. doesn't work emotionally. But you need some toehold. Right. You need yeah, something yeah. more than just the word floating but in. But that's, what I, and that's what I think because <clears throat> on your show, which I would not consider a comedy, there are genuinely organically funny moments right. that come out of the interactions that you guys have. And I don't, <clears throat> I don't feel like it's too – I don't ever feel like that's too clever. Like when I'm watching an Aaron Sorkin show where I'm like – People don't talk that way. Yet I you love Aaron Sorkin. I know you do. I, I know, know you do. I know. Sometimes it is good to revel in human cleverness. Like if you watch the, um, oh, I'm trying to think of, uh, oh, I don't know why I'm spacing, but um, it was the play, and they did a film with Peter O'Toole where he thinks he's Christ, and um, I'll, I'll come back to it, but it's just so viciously clever and brilliant that you have to there's a little bit of I'm going to stand back and watch right. even Aaron Sorkin in the West like it's just the dialogue is flying like, but but it feels weird to, it's hard to deliver yeah. yeah and you fight it all the time and I mean we did do you know those guys started writing on Terriers you know the kind of like the thing that Sean Ryan and Ted told the writing room was like don't try to write to be funny other than writing something that one guy thinks will crack the other guy up. Mm-hmm. You see or, that. You totally see that. Or we'll up. switch it where they say, are you going to visit me in prison? And it's like, not not for conjugal visits. It's like, dude, only for conjugal visits. <laughs> like, just, I'm just switching. How would we? Right, right. You know? And you're also like, I, I know, you know, any anytime we're doing a scene, it's like, I know 500 ways to bust up Michael. Like, if we could just float off book. And, and we were talking about that. Yeah, earlier. In, 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 in regards to the guys on UCB who were on the show because the really brilliant improv people when they finally act for the first time and they're tied into this box of words words yeah. on a page you watch these guys who are used to being like jet planes 
<laughs> so boxed into something, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, that's part of That's what you learn, you know? And you learn what what you do is you have to give the writer, you have to give the writer what they wrote. That's that's only fair do. And you have to find 50 different ways to try it. And then when everybody feels comfortable, then you're like, hey, can we try one just for the hell? And it probably right. it won't work. Most of the time it doesn't work, but like try yeah. one free. Well, it's good to have the safety net of, you know, the actual thing that was written. Yeah. And then from there, if but you have time. The worst thing is for actors is, you know, when someone writes something, you guys write, you put together, it's this, especially for TV shows, it's like this mathematical equation that's going over 13 episodes. Mm-hmm. And they're building all these brick buildings and everything's kind of important for somewhere down the line and to walk in and just go this is bullshit <laughs> <laughs> this guy would never kick my character's ass that's like the kind of you'd hear that about like Melrose Place like right. Jack Wagner walking in I'm ne- I would never get my ass kicked by a guy like that oh, God. or whatever it is I, I don't know wow. I, I don't know if he actually ever said that God bless him but like, <laughs> I can I can imagine shit like that of going on of course that happens right yeah. and 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 uh it, it's such a nightmare for the writers. They don't want actors near the writers' room because they want to manipulate the stuff in their direction. And you know, so uh, we had a good relationship with the writers because we hopefully showed them a lot of respect. And then they start listening to what you you have to say about certain things. You know, nothing nothing major, but um, you know, the show was freeing that way, and it felt like it's easy to act when it when you just rely on your own sense of humanity or whatever, it's not really that difficult. Did you audition for the show? Yeah, or did, did they you just... guys know, and also did you know each other? You or answer both of those. Yeah, yeah, no, did you yeah. and Michael know each other before? I, I didn't audition for the show, I just met those guys and, and had a long conversation with them and they felt like I met Ted and, and Craig Brewer who directed the pilot mm-hmm. and Sean Ryan <clears throat> and we all got along really well and <clears throat> they said, you want to do this thing? I said, yeah, and let's start auditioning everybody else and Michael, so Brits were the first people who came in and Michael was the first guy to come in, and we had worked on a show called Life together. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we loved and he life. played a. Oh yeah, we Life. Oh, life. that was a, that was another fucking right? great show. He played like a. Um, he and um, Rachel Miner, who was also in the pilot mm-hmm. of Terriers, played this kind of weird murderous couple who had a museum to the macabre and yeah in L.A. and they you know where they had like things about serial killers and stuff. And so we were doing a scene, and I didn't really, I hadn't really met them. Formally, we just came in. We're doing an all-night shoot, and um, and I was just watching this guy watch me in the scene, and I was like, "This guy's, this guy's intense. Like he's he's there's something kind of unique about this. You, and you can, t- it's just his games at a different level. Like there's a lot of really good people, but I was like, "Shit, this guy's really good." Mm-hmm. And I was at the time um, adapting this Kerouac novel called Big Sur for as a screenplay. I got hired to do that. Also from Lowell. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> also from Lowell, Mass. Nice. Yeah. People are from there, Matthew. Yeah. You hired the Lowell. So he was a huge, you know, he was a huge Kerouac fan, and we got into the conversation. And the interesting thing is, like, a lot of people hate Jack Kerouac and hate the Beatniks because they don't, they haven't read his stuff, but. They just know that they hate that whole style of this. Yeah, they hate the people that love him right. rather than the making I'm their like, own hey, decision. Jack Kerouac hated those people too. That's why he right. wrote Big Sur, you know? He wrote this book on the road. It took 10 years for it to get published. So by the time it got published, he's like this old alcoholic, like late 30s <laughs> guy on the verge of death, basically. And then all these young guys are like, hey, Jack, man, let's do, you know, let's fight. Yeah, exactly. And, and so. I'm like, you you know, but he got it, and so we, we, we bonded over that. And then I saw him at this audition, and I just kind of knew that this is the guy you can run down the road that we're running down on, in Terrier's Land with. And I, I think of a lot of the other guys who came in who were fine. 
good actors and stuff, but it would have just been such completely different. And some of it was like some of the guys were kind of funnier. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because some of the guys were really big, but they were they were big, but not like like the guy's supposed to be dangerous. And like, well, he's big. I'm like, there's such a difference between dangerous and big, and it was just kind of a weird. It was it was. A, he had to fight to get it in a way he probably shouldn't have had to. Mm-hmm. But the problem with Michael was is that instead of Hank being like this much older guy with this really kind of 22-year-old fresh-faced, like uh, it's like mentor relationship between these two. It was almost like these two guys who were way too close in, in weight and feeling and vibe and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were, they were fighting against the casting a little bit. But you know, the president of the network was like, look – it wasn't the show that was pitched to us initially, but the best actor is going to win this part. So it's Michael nice to hear it. that. It is, yeah. isn't it? That is. It and it's really true. Nice to you hear know that. what? For all the people out there who think it's all completely arbitrary and bullshit, it's not at all. You know, a lot of times the person you want to get the part just completely because I've been on the other side of the table a lot now. You're you're praying for them, you're, and I, or I'm reading with, and you're like, let's, you know, and they, and it's just like. It's a di- the process is so difficult. We've all yeah. been through it where it's it lends itself to just sabotage, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of does. people like melt down when it's time and you see the person who you think probably isn't ultimately the best for the job but they have their bugle stand up moment when it counts yeah, and, and they audition, win the, the audition process is such a Designed different it's such a different to, muscle yeah. than actually being like actually well, everybody's working. also too there because like if I'm comfortable and I'm there like tennis for Kerr or whatever right. I'm jamming but right. when the heat's on I'm like well that's the I think that's they invent this pressure cooker to put people and you're, it's, right. the, it's the thing it's like do that thing be funny do that thing in you a, this voice you'll love it in like, a completely ooh, inorganic oh. environment yeah. Angry. And yeah. and also somehow hate yourself. Like, not just hate the person who's I, I, putting I, I it on you, but also most, hate I'm, yourself. Like, oh, I'm a shit. What I, am I, I doing? But it's so right on. I love what you said earlier about uh, you're auditioning for stuff and you're not getting it and you get fucking mad. And you're like, well, why wouldn't why they? Why do I care yeah. about this? Yeah. Why thing can't that I, I be a about? fucking dude in space? I'm that guy. I'm that guy. You audition for dudes from space? You audition for astronaut. The astronaut show. I've auditioned for everything. Do you still audition? Yeah, of course. Of course, you know, like I did go through a long period in tele. Well, I was on Grounded for Life for a long time, and um, after the Dow Steve, like I, I did go through a period for probably eight years where I didn't audition. I would audition for films, or I didn't audition for TV or mm-hmm. things like that. Um, I auditioned for this HBO pilot I did right before Life called One Percent, a biker show, and which I, I we we did and I loved a lot, but we they didn't end up doing and. Um, like the, my, I don't mind auditioning at all because I also feel like, and, and you guys probably feel the same way. It's, you know, a they have a right to see if you're the person, mm-hmm. the yeah. right person for this, and and there's there could you know, and, and if I feel like, I'm I'm actually supposed to go meet someone for some job, and I'm really like I'm not that I don't do this thing that they want done well. Like, there's a guy who can play. Like, I remember being up for something called NY70 that the guys from Life did. And it was to do basically the French Connection and do um, to do Popeye, like to do the old Gene Hackman part mm-hmm. again. And Donnie Wahlberg ended up doing it, who I, who's a friend of mine. And, and I was like, Donnie's better at that. Like, there's a kind of thing, you know, there, there's certain parts that friends of yours, like, I'm like, he's, you know, to them, that's their cloak. Mm-hmm. That, that's easy for them to put on and let them run with it. So... If you act, just get used to auditioning and embrace it. Because if you pray you don't have to, you're going to get 
Yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, we just watched Saw 2 the other day, which Donnie Wahlberg is fucking awesome in. He's, he's so really, good. I know, I mean, like, I don't know if he would, I don't know, whatever. He's great. He's phenomenal. Yeah, the Saw stuff was hilarious because I think it was just so f- successful that he yeah. couldn't. And they were like, he's the only guy that they bring keep bringing back or whatever it yeah. was because he survived. And But he's like, you know, at some point you just, it's too much money or whatever it is to walk away from. And. <clears throat> But uh, he's doing some show. He's doing a show called Blue Bloods in New York right now. Oh yeah, Blue Bloods. I remember that. With Tom Selleck's mustache. <laughs> yeah, Tom's on that. Tom Selleck's on that. No, Tom, no, just, just I just said mustache. Tom like I know him. <laughs> oh, Tom's on that show. No, Tom. But it's weird because you know Terriers is like. It just feels like one of those. There's a lot of those things where. I just can't myself, and they're all you know they're friends and and they're doing these shows, but there's there's so many of them where you're like God, dead bodies aren't dead bodies and. <laughs> Danger isn't danger, and cleverness, it's just, you just feel so fraudulent that you just feel like you can't do it, like it can't even come out of your mouth, Mm -hmm. like, you know, and and the thing is, people respond to that stuff, they love that shit, and I don't know, you know, and maybe it's just super comforting for them to have certain shows like that, but... It's all all this, or it's sort of all that world, or it's all... Well, and I mean, listen, I think, you know, I think at this time in in human history, we are more inundated with data at all points, all the time, and so I think just a coping mechanism for people is that they just need to shortcut things, and so if they, you know, if they instantly know, like, you know, whatever, this... You know, there's a there's a crappy sitcom on, but I know exactly what it is, and right. I know what to expect. Right. I don't have to do it's any comforting. work. But what's funny about what what's what you want to explain to people about terriers, at least from my perspective, is in terms of like maybe if they don't know where it fits into that, is that what I like about the chemistry, particularly between you two, but about the whole show, is that you really get this sense. The writing's great, but you still get this sense that something's happened right before the scene that you pick up as a viewer watching, and that something's going to continue happening afterwards. And I feel like that's really hard to do to have good writing and good acting and feel like I feel like I'm picking you two up in in the middle of a conversation. Like you you've already like you guys are referring to something. With your eyes. Well, because we know each other. It's kind of, you know, it's creepy. Like, it's like this weird, creepy, symbiotic thing where we were very close. We got the part. And two things were happening. One was we were, like, fully aware that it's a huge gift to be able to have a show on the air that you're given the reins, especially two guys who have to run in every scene with it. It's like, you know, they're giving you this whole forum for you guys to do this thing. So... We weren't going to take it lightly. We actually rented a house down in San Diego together and lived together and worked on this 24-7. And, you know, we were super prepared. And when people would show up and they were like, well, you know, they had the script for six days and they were, I don't know, a little loose on it. It's like, why? (laughs) We had eight pages to do and there was no problem, man. Like It was like we were kind of like that. Mm -hmm. I I think people were a little like, whoa. I guess you guys are serious about this or something. Shit. Yeah, so but then after I saw the pilot, I was like, I feel like the show has always been on. And I've, I never say that well, about pilots weird, because the actors at, and the characters are like, who, what? Yeah. And Jamie was someone, like, that was because I auditioned with everyone. Jamie was someone I had worked with before. And I auditioned with everybody for a couple of weeks. So I read with hundreds of people. And so by that time, I felt very comfortable doing scenes with everybody that I was doing scenes with on the pilot. And then Michael and I had this kind of rapport that was deep, you know. And so um, there was something about it. And I was like, I wonder if this is an interesting experiment in this way because 
I wonder if these intangible elements that you really do internally believe add something to something is something that can be picked up on by an objective viewer, which I guess it was. I mean, it's not doing well ratings-wise, but the one thing was like people like, whoa, man, that's some heavy-duty chemistry between people. Or I hope they give it a... I, ho I just hope that they recognize the inherent value of the show, and I, I just hope they give it a chance. Well, the that, weird thing is FX, it, FX more than anyone recognizes the value of the show. I mean, they're huge fans of it, like John Landgraf or Danielle Woodward. All, these, all the executives from FX were always in touch with us about, like, just want to send you an email, saw the dailies from yesterday. This is long before the show airs, you know, and, like, wow, inc you know, we look forward to the dailies here more than anything. It's incredible. And, and so they're always been supportive. The difficult position they get put in as business people is yeah. their, their bosses saying, What's what? What's with this? Like you can't have the a sentimental. The advertisers are mad. Or yeah, you know, it's like it's just a, it's a it's a job, and and you know they're aware that's probably the kind of show too that if it doesn't survive, that people will say, wait a minute, mm -hmm. like I got, I just got turned on to this. This is what happened. What happened was you weren't there from the get go, and when people needed you, or however Nielsen works, or but you know I I, I can't say that they haven't been incredibly fair and supportive and they're not super rooting for it as we speak you know and they helped us put together this weird tour michael and i did uh this cross-country tour we were trying to like raise <laughs> oh, who awareness was, I talking about that? was it maybe it was nick crawl someone was it nick is someone from the league who oh yeah we ran into them in chicago yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. steve and all them yeah yeah and they're 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 cool, man. That's a good group of people. It's a know? great it's a, it's a great group. Yeah, I knew Steve from before, but like uh, really cool, really nice, and you know whatever. That was fun. We ran into them in Chicago, and and uh, so. I mean, I just think I think I think I honestly, and you know, that obviously not paying me to say this, but I think FX is fucking killing it right now with shows like between you know your show and the League and, and Justified and Louis C.K. Well, show. Damages was damages, one of my like, all-time favorites. They, like, they, and they, they believed in that show. But that's it too. So damages hard. was the same thing. They gave thing. it more than they could have, you know. The, and they felt like Damages well, Damages is probably a little less than our show though. If you came in in the middle, it's a little confusing. You're, you're screwed. Right. It's but, so serious. Um, it was so brilliant and the guys who did it, I were, but you know, this guy Dan Zellman and the cast brother like Dan was one of my best friends in college and I did a bunch of plays with him and like the greatest actor uh, like t actor schmactor stuff like that guy was the god, god actor of all time and married Deborah Messing and I think after Angels in America and some plays he did in <clears throat> New York he's such a tortured artist as an actor he's like I, I'm not doing it anymore and he went into writing luckily for damages and stuff but the guy is no one knows they're like who's the best actor you ever worked with like yeah. oh your boss Daniel like what <laughs> Dan Zellman the wow. that executive producer guy wow. like, the guy's a friggin man <laughs> you know? um, and I love it too like you're talking about watching Amy or people work like I, oh, I remember so doing plays with all these people coming up or even you know scenes and film and stuff and you're like man I'm so jazzed by it. look at what this I just did this movie with um called Oliver Sherman up in Canada, this tiny indie three, like myself, Garrett Dillahunt, and Molly Parker. Mm -hmm. And it's about two vets. Yeah. And it was incredibly emotional, <clears throat> very restrained emotional thing. And, and also something happened to me. I don't know what it was about some scare with my kids or 
something a couple of years ago, but I was like, I don't have a funny bone in my fucking body anymore. And I'm not into goofy shit. I'm not into like, the only thing I'm interested in doing is this adult style world of <laughs> in my brain. But we did this movie and this guy, Garrett Dillahunt, who people, you know, he's on Raising Hope now. Yeah, okay. he's brilliant. He was on. He was on life as the Russian as the Russian bad guy. You know, I mean, I have a friend who follows everything he does because he he is brilliant. And I was sitting across from this guy doing scene after scene, just mes. I'm just like, man, this is awesome. Uh, What you know, just thinking, it is awesome what you do, and it's cool to be like, it's it's cool to feel that way about the people you're working with. You know, Um, and, and Terriers had a lot of that. Like everybody's game got really stepped up and it was kind of a thrilling environment and the sad thing is and it's so selfish but like you know this group of people because we're all like circus people who have these different traveling circuses we have like 170 people that you work with 16 hours a day everybody's marriages are in, pro- in trouble because <laughs> yeah. they're never home everybody's in shit yeah. so you have each other and you're like and this is their you know there's not much filming in San Diego this is their gig if the gig goes again next year everybody the kids are in school everything's cool and if it goes away yeah. so they're going please like oh thank you so much for driving around the country in a bus and trying to promote the show like you know to keep it going but um, at some point though you know it's like well the work was dignified the other shit is not that dignified begging people <laughs> it's, to it's come all, watch a show it's, you know? all, it's all the other stuff I mean it's like it's stuff you know that I, I feel like I have to do on the podcast or stuff with my stand up where it's like no you gotta market <laughs> you have to learn it's like I didn't want to be a marketer I didn't, I didn't because the people do jettison themselves to such incredible positions of power where not this power but they have a platform to make what they want to happen happen I guess so when you, I, but it I, feels like the most talented the people with the big hearts they just can't do that because they feel whorish about anything that they do in that realm I, I always I mean listen I promote my own shows on Twitter and I swear to God see, every Twitter, time like, I do it I feel guilty about it we got on Twitter like my friend was like you gotta get I wasn't on Twitter and I don't I only you know I started, I was like, oh, man, I got 100 people. I got 200 people. You know, there's people, millions, you have millions of people. And it's like, but it was such, you realize, like, what a powerful tool it is. People would, people coming to the Chicago event were like, I came because I saw a retweet about, you are like, okay, man. Well, you have no idea. Like, when I when I was tweeting about your show and then you tweeted back to me, like, hey, thanks for supporting the show. Like, I showed Jen. I'm like, hey, Donald tweeted me. Like, that never would have happened in, with any other social networking It was such tool. a fast way. I mean, really, going from, like, I said, me saying, oh, oh, I really wish that you could, you know. I said, like, I got on this crusade, you know, like, I, I want to help the show. I don't know if I but can, see, but I want to try. that was amazing. Like, I, we were, like, talking about it because we were on the bus and my friend Steve's kind of the one who's Donnie's friend. And he's like, Donnie's got 250,000 people. He, he's doing this Twitter stuff all the time. It's helpful, man, because they would do club appearance, whatever. It's kind of a different world. But so he was like, hey, look at this guy, you know, like meaning you. Mm-hmm. And and maybe this woman, Diane, who did the surf report or a couple of people who do blogs, the entertainment blogs. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, writing just the best, most superlative stuff about the, the show. And it was like, hey, thanks so much for the support because, you know, we can't – you can – one thing that you say is reaching so many people immediately and who are checking in all the time. It's so important to us. Like this kind of, this is it. You know, this this is the, how people reach people now. And, and um, 
to blow it off is kind of foolish, you know? No, it's 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 great. And I, I don't have any problem. Like, I'll tweet about your show a hundred times. I always get self-conscious about stuff. tweeting my own stuff where I'm like, we all are. I'm sorry I have to do this, you guys, but I need to promote my thing right. now. But, um, but it's crucial. It is. It is. But I do. I feel it feels very weird because, you, of course, you would just want to be like, I do my thing. Yeah. You see, yeah. You see what I do. I don't. Yeah. I'm not I, I'm not offering a Burger King Happy Meal with it, <laughs> whatever you know. Well, but just, like, you know, it's just, just in the garage, just, making it's it. Another side of it, like if you want to. I mean, you know, I feel like stand up is the most distilled representation of how the business works. If people show up to your shows, you can it's perform. Working, though, yeah. And so it's you know it's like in a broader sense. Now like Kirk said it's getting it's harder right now. I don't know if that's. Well, it's harder in the sense that there are less comedy clubs. I mean, there are less there are less comedy venues and a lot of comedy clubs. You know, like when the recession hit, the recession just crushed. Co- comedy it. clubs are the yeah. first. You know, like some of the first things to get hit because they're expensive and they're sort of a luxury and it's it's something people do when they have extra money and they're like. And people would argue the other. People home. would say, well, yeah. it's comedy club. People want to laugh and the, you know, but it's they not. Gotta yeah, be they'll they gotta watch be able their to movies to at laugh. home that they have. Well, that or, they or they'll save it. They'll, the they'll save it for like the handful of people coming through town that they know. Like if you know if Jim Gaffigan blows through town, or right. you know, or someone, or, or Pat Oswalt. So. By the way, how amazing is it? Like the the world doesn't know, like. Guys you've never heard of are making massive livings, <laughs> singing the penis song to 40,000 people or whatever. I was like, who? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah dude, I'm flying on this private jet to this thing to do this for 80,000 people. That's how I am I'm about like, Vegas. Who? Like, what? what? Vegas? Like, these people are making millions, and I've never heard, Like, I didn't know who Jeff Dunham was for the longest time. Well, you could always... Listen, if you would do yourself a favor if you could unlearn that. <laughs> well, hey, racist puppet. Oh, I'm a puppet. Oh, please, no, come on. It's possible I've still never actually seen him do anything. I just became aware. What about Yakov Smirnoff? Is he still Branson, he's he's a, Branson, Missouri? Yeah, Branson, Branson, Missouri. Theater. Oh yeah, Branson. Well, because it's funny. I, I, was, I was just had a talk with Weird Al about that the other day because Weird Al tweeted something out about like he he made a reference to Yakov Smirnoff. So like, funny. And all these people were like, "Come on, man, Yakov's doing a theater." And I think Yakov tweeted him, and he was like, "Oh my oh, god, geez. I didn't mean to open, this, open this can of worms." It's yeah. okay. It's okay. <laughs> PJ Novak, he said one of my favorite jokes about Yakov Smirnov. He's all, "I just recently met Yakov Smirnov's wife. What a con!" <laughs> <laughs> BJ oh Novak. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> my last, like, I have two quick things that I want, and then we're at the hour, and I don't want to dominate too much of your time. But uh, first of all, do you? I guess at this point, you have a pretty good internal barometer. If you're doing a scene, I, I don't know. Do you have anything that kind of goes off? That's like that was a solid scene, or do you? Are you hard on yourself, or when you watch stuff afterwards, are you like, oh, that that actually went was looks better than I that turned out better than I thought it was gonna? Like, what's your internal what's your internal measurement system? I think I think it's pretty. I think it's it. I think you can tell fairly well when it's. I, I think I know for the the barometer is kind of in tune with what's happening. Mm-hmm. I do I do love it though when like you're working with someone really good who, there's this guy named Alan Taylor who's a genius director who directs a lot of the, the Sopranos and stuff and he's like I know what you're trying to do and I can only imagine what it feels like in your heart and mind. And, oh, no. And, dude, and, and I love, and, and, he, and it's fine because you know he loves and supports you and yeah. you're not conveying any of it. Oh, no. And you're like, that's okay. That's a great note. I, yeah, yeah, I got thick skin. I got it. I, I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. is it coming through telepathically or not or whatever? I'm like, okay, cool. You know, that's fine. It's like, um, and better that way than someone's like, ooh, ah. Uh, how do I put it in terms of colors to you? Right. <laughs> I'm not an airy fairy weird elfish right. like you know just 
friggin', what do you want? What yeah. do you want? Or just not say anything and be like, I guess that's the best we're going to get and yeah. not have, you know, not Sometimes, you know, the forward. weird thing is like funnier, faster is a good note. Yeah. And like yeah. people go, I hate it when they say it fast. I'm like, no, it's good, dude, because the pace needs <laughs> to get picked up because mm-hmm. it's fucking dying, you know? And then there's this one guy, uh, God bless him, uh, we were doing this movie with this dude. Terry George, this uh, who wrote Hotel Rwanda and all okay. this, you know, and some other son. He was, and he was an IR, you know, he had been in prison for eight years for kind of suspected IRA involvement. It was more just he was one of the guys from the neighborhood, but he's such a great guy. And we were doing this film, and he was like, no, 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 it's this, it's that, you know. He's trying to get through this actor, and the guy's like, what do you want, you know? And you want it bigger, weirder? He goes, I want it fucking real. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like. Clearest direction I've ever yeah. seen of a yeah. scene. Yeah, man. How about that one, dude? <laughs> Making it real. But um, no, it's fun. You know, the fun thing too is, who knows what's going to happen with Terriers? I would love, of course, for it to continue, and I think people will enjoy it. They'll probably enjoy it, even like a thirteen-part miniseries or whatever. But the adventure kind of hopefully continues. You know, it's just like it's fun to do a bunch of different. Th- it's fun to do like Jimmy McBride little one-minute interstitial improv things. It's fun to do big movies and, you know, cheesy dramas and, you know, but but what is gets harder is to do stuff that feels like it's not compromised or super contrived or, you know, which is what's nice about, I, I, I don't know, because stand-up strikes me as that, but although you may find that, you may feel that way in stand-up too sometimes. That it feels contrived? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's there's a certain art to... When you first start doing stand-up, you're like, you kind of, you get this gladiator mentality. You're like, I'm never gonna do the same fucking bit twice. And you realize there's a there's a genuine art to crafting and finding jokes and figuring out like what you're trying to say. Yeah. And then you and then there's a whole other part of the evolution when you start doing an hour of the jump from 30 minutes to 45 minutes to an hour is insane. And then you you really start to realize like. I never realized I needed to express all of these points, but somehow they've leaked into you know like. I write jokes about the South. I never was a guy who was like, I'm Southern. And, you know, right. here I am just talking about these things that just needed to get out. So, yeah, right. sometimes it feels contrived. And you're like, am I really going to do the this laser vagina joke again tonight? But then you kind of just go like. <laughs> and, yes, there is one. What there is a laser be? vagina joke. It's a, that's, that's, a, that's a big works. reference. But it, I, I guess so. But the minute, the minute you can't, the minute you can't, Express it from a like a like a real place. I think is the minute people just kind of like shut down because that's, they're like that's, that's inauthentic it. That's now. The act, then that's it. That's like take after take. Like if you can find the emotional connection between the material, then you're you're allowed to do whatever you're allowed to do. If it's just by rote, after that, then you. But I know I, I tried stand up a couple times, and the only time it was successful is if you go up and don't know what you're going to say at all. <laughs> and then I've if you tried go up, that once or twice. I've done that <laughs> once and it worked kind of okay until I went back. They said, come back the next night. Yeah, cool. And I was like, what Uh-oh. did I talk about? <laughs> and I was like, who's up right now? And they're like, Chris Rock. And you're like, there's no fucking <laughs> Not only do I not have an act, I'm trying to say what I said oh, when I was free. Yeah. Well, that guy was really good, wasn't yeah. he, folks? Yeah. Oh, jeez. Who, yeah, exactly, dude. <laughs> Who was that? Stank up the joint. Yeah, but... I have so much respect for that. That is the art form. Because, I mean, even pre-microphone, all you need is you standing there and people on a plastic chair get transported anywhere through storytelling. Chris Rock is one of those, like, hardcore, like, Louis C.K. was telling me that, you know, like, driving to a gig, 
is like why you listen to the radio in the car. You need to be focusing yeah. on your oh, material. Wow. You need to be focusing on what you're doing when you get there. He just talks about like not even listening to anything when he's in the car. So that's a time where you can just think. That's a time where you can think. Like yeah. it's it's all this really intense. And but what if that go, makes somebody else go crazy because they yeah, need to be what, removed because everyone, they need everyone, to be on a roller coaster he's before got they go to clearly his mind. Everyone's he's yeah, got his intellect and he is different. And he responds different. He might want to just have listen to some music pregame, you yeah. know, whatever yeah. it is. But yeah. But that's but that's the thing that I was going to say I love about all three of you guys because you're all such great stand-ups um, is that what my biggest pet peeve with stand-up and I don't do stand-up is is that inauthentic that sort of inauthentic like you get the sense that somebody was in their car on the way going who is who am I who's my stand-up persona <laughs> Boy, and it really is you, so uncomfortable you smell it you feel it you taste it uh, you know, yeah, and, and, the, when and the vibe and, is dark too sometimes just, between but like even Kirk like I would you know I might have push him in the wrong direction but my friend starts stand up he'd, he'd be like my brother's uh, my brother's Navy SEAL it's like you don't have a fucking no your brother's <laughs> <laughs> you're a fucking liar yeah. you're a liar yeah. you really need to find but lies to base the, be- the best derailing heckle where you just get really no, honest you, like, don't. Oh, you don't actually have a brother ah, but, what, but I think and, and, and what I think I what I love about Kirk's stand up now and what I respond to about it is that he just takes his time like that dude just yeah. takes his time on stage and is just like, yeah. Like uh, he's got his own unique, that, his own know? unique rhythms, and it's hard to believe that that's enough. And when when I did it with him, and like you go to New York, so we were at this club, and they were like, "Hey, you want to jump up because people aren't here, and it's the end of the night, and we, you can do twenty minutes if you want." Assuming because you're on a sitcom that you do right. you do stand up. <laughs> well, Why don't you get up there? Why don't you get up there? <laughs> sure, why not? Then, then these are uh, like, let's go to stand up. Let's go to this place or that place, and they're like, okay, you gotta. Uh, I can let you do a three your three minute bit. Like, do <laughs> define three and five minute bit to someone who has no act, or whatever. It's like, <laughs> like it's incredibly insane. But people are that methodical in that early. The early stages are so brutal. Yeah. Of of stand up, but you know. I don't know how you guys do it. I I, I guess you have to so learn much. the rules to break them too. Like that's yeah. another kind of. Yeah, it's, I always think it's a genetic defect. It's a, it's a weird thing. To, <laughs> it is. It's a weird. It's a weird thing to, you know, night after night want to get up and try to make a group of strangers laugh, and then when it doesn't go well, and everything inside you is like. You know, wow, I should I don't I don't I maybe I shouldn't do this anymore. You still want right. to get up and do it again. I just think that's a weird that's genetic awesome. thing. What's weird to me a little bit though in the guys I respect a lot even is there at some point they almost look like they have to be like I'm a professional weird comedy guy. Mm-hmm. I keep weird shit in my fridge. I go to bed at one in the <laughs> afternoon. That's my whole I have all these rules, you know, and so I had a friend who was like a morning radio guy. And he met some of these guys who were really brilliant comics, who I think are brilliant. And he was like, I think they're brilliant. You know, I've always been big fans. And they and they were like, who are you? And like, what do you do? And I do this morning radio. And they're like, oh, hey, rock to You know, like, <laughs> they wouldn't let this guy be human. They were like, how's Rollvember radio? Oh, <laughs> like, at some point, you're like, hey, dude, you know, I've always respected your comedy. You go, fuck yourself, man. Yeah. I'll take you to the parking lot right now. You know, because everybody becomes fodder for their weird comic universe that they right. Imposed upon you and you and you and you and you, and then the whole yeah. touch of humanity is completely gone. And if there's no heart, there's no if there's no like wave of humanity that you're riding on, and it's just that, then it's it's empty too. So yeah, you know. And I think that's the thing about like Richard Pryor, these people that were so mind numbing, is that you knew that they had a huge heart, the deeply aching soul that was very human and very real, and not just super out there clever and you know. Um, you know, but 
<clears throat> who knows? I mean, it'll go it'll go back and forth, but um, it's an interesting universe you guys wander through. <laughs> and, I, and I feel the same. I feel the same about about you. I mean, like the few acting things I've done, it always it always feels very weird. Like because it really forces you to try to understand who you are as a person and how you know to to be able to figure out like how 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 do I react and how would this react? I don't you know. Um, it's cool though too when you do it and you do figure certain things out and it's completely counter to how they intended it in the script but they're like ooh wow I saw that there's a different truth to it from a different a lot of different angles yeah. and it's it's fun to start playing in there and like the thing about Terriers was it was a world that we could actually really play like think about those issues in and as opposed to a lot of the jobs that we get as actors so you know that you guys recognize it as a huge um it really means a lot to both Michael and myself, to everybody on the show. And, now, how, just and, in, sort of in conclusion, how would you describe, like, how do you describe the show to people when you're telling them, like, this is what the show is, just so people, just so we can tell people on the show here? I think it's kind of a drama about two best friends who are in dire straits who would do anything for each other, like, just take a bullet for each other, like... In, 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 and they bust each other. They're kind of everything to each other, even if the women are in or out or whatever it is. And, and it's like, it, it's kind of a, um, it's kind of a buddy drama, you know, you know, and I can't use, they used a Butch and Sundance or something like that. But to me, it's almost like Don Quixote and Sancho Panza, like, and mm. this guy who's going to back your play, no matter what your play mm-hmm. is, whether you piss him off or not. And, but it's about the, that emotional connection between, between people. And because the weird thing about TV is, you know, whatever. It could be like, you know, it can, it can either be Freaks and Geeks or Saved by the Bell. They take place in the same place. It's just mm-hmm. right. how effective is the writing and how effective is the, <laughs> right. uh, you know, how you know, you're pitching a high school thing or whatever. It's just how, how human are the players involved in understanding how people interact with each other. It just has a big heart that way. And what I love about it is that I think that poignancy, the humor combined with the with the drama is what has kind of tripped people out the most. I think um, those who are, <coughs> excuse me, really invested in the show. So, well, uh, just to let people know, Terriers, which we're achieving, is on Wednesday nights on FX. And yeah. as the female in the room, I'm going to be the one who says, guys, there's something on it for everyone. <laughs> Which is disgusting, <laughs> but 100% accurate. It is kind yeah. of, it's a hard, you know, it's a funky one, but it feels like there's but something there on it. But there is. You're going to respond to the action when it happens, or you're going to respond, you know, if, if, if that's your thing, you're going because it's really hey, well done. Detectives. You're going to respond, yeah, you're going to respond to, as a woman, you're going to respond to the relationships if you're pigeonholing yourself yeah, and the into being a woman who's mushy. You know, <laughs> that too and it's like the writers were good about that it's like men know we it's not like I don't know every time I talk to a girl I just get <laughs> I don't have a emotion <laughs> oh my god dude that's the worst most played out bullshit hey you know it's like you know how to talk to women okay yeah. That moment. And these guys have had sisters, they oh. got moms, they got shit, they can talk that, to women, that, and men and women can look. talk to each other. No, I'm just, there's a moment where you where you are talking to his girlfriend about after an issue she's having after happens. something happens, and that moment where you, you're seeing the pain, I am really just, you should not have brought me here because I have vomited compliments about this show the entire <laughs> no, time. No, but that's but what the we moment want. When, the moment when you, when you're, when you are feeling 
simultaneously you're feeling bad for her, you're feeling sympathy for her and empathy, you're feeling for your friend, yeah. you're feeling for yourself for being in this situation, because you're thinking is, about your own relationship and how life it Life is so that. messy. And what people don't Gorgeous. understand too, it's like this weird like Sandra, Sandra Bullock and Jesse James and this or Tiger Woods and you know like shows like this are not unlike life or your life with friends or something like dude i fuck i if my wife finds out this or whatever and why i don't know man she's perfect and i'm a piece of shit <laughs> and i'm like what it is is there's self-sabotage yeah. or there's tiger woods it's like oh you're a billionaire you're 30 your dad's marched you out in front of like tv shows since you were two and now he's dead and now what do you do, man? And you've never been like a 15-year-old being checked by your friends, just another guy in the Circle K parking oh, yeah. lot. Yeah. There's a million issues going yeah. on with people. There's addiction. There's this. There's that. There's self-sat. There's I feel sorry for you, but i got to hold the line. And yeah. all these things go into play. And like when you do drama, that all has to play. Yeah. And, and I don't understand when people make it so clear-cut. Or, well, that's what's <clears throat> great about I mean, that just kind of ties back uh, to what's going on in cable, which is – I mean, I think in the extreme when it doesn't work or what's sort of easy to make fun of about a lot of cable now is that it's all about the, the, the flawed hero. It's all about the anti-hero. It's all about this person is an asshole, but you still like him because he's the, the center of the show. Yeah. And, and when, it, when it works, it's a lot more complicated than simple, oversimplifying in that way. But it feels like the acknowledgement of that is so exciting and so invigorating. It's a really yeah. exciting time. It can be a really even exciting you, time in television. Even like, if you oh. like... Even if it isn't watched by many people or whatever, <laughs> if you if the one most cynical person in the world who's like, I've never seen it captured where it is those those things that really catch you off guard emotionally or whatever. And if you can win those people over and just be like, you're like, dude, I hate contrivance as much as you do. And on everything else that you're doing when you're walking into a contrived corner and you're like, we're walking into this red flag and they're like, don't worry about it. And then, of course, it comes out and you go, no. And when his character does this, as if anyone would ever, and you're like, hey, man, I was saying, like, we're sticking our asses out to get kicked. I think the same way. Like, as most people think critically in that regard, like, to do it to where you're like, look, we would no, wouldn't, maybe, maybe, or, or let's talk about it, or it's, you know, and, and so I think what it does appeal to people who, who have a really kind of tough litmus test when it comes to like shows like this. And and you know, and other people don't want they don't really sometimes I don't want to think so much. <laughs> right. You know, whatever. Right. Which I feel fun. enough in my right. own per- you know, and it was and it's and it's partially true because I always have this fantasy that if you do stuff that really is like they don't even look like guys that you know, there was some weird thing where John Hamm was on the um he I was at the Emmys or something, he's all dressed up and slicked back and like someone, I can't remember who it is, some kind of God bless him, Queenie dude on E or whatever. He's going, now that's what a television star's supposed to look like. (laughs) Glamorous? And you're like, you know what? Fuck you. (laughs) But so my thing would be like, oh, we kind of look like guys you might know, you know, like from your hometown or whatever. And people will really respond to that because they'll feel really, and they're like, no. (laughs) They really respond to like really impossibly good looking people <laughs> and then Sofia Vergara who I worked with on um, the Knights of Prosperity you know she had all she had access to all of Pablo Escobar's stuff in Colombia she's from Colombia and she had these tapes and all this I'm like you know what if they made in Colombia like a really gritty drama that was like really about this stuff but you guys made it and it was about the struggle and the guys you know they're they're brutal but they're also loving they build hospitals and she goes people poor people in places like Colombia want to watch Dynasty <laughs> uh, people don't want to watch yeah the people don't want to watch you know I can understand okay I get it you know people want to watch you know like Joan Collins in a gown 
<laughs> I know I do. You're, you're, um, that woman is an true. impossible bitch. Because <laughs> of where we live, I just want to escape that all the time, and I don't want to see more Botox, and I don't want to see you know tinier and tinier yeah. women and buffed up men. Because I feel like well, that's I want all shows. That feels to be like, like work. That just feels like work. Yeah, every show, every show, I want to be on Entourage Channel. <laughs> Bunch of people I want to hang out with. Uh, well, thank you so much thank for you. being here, Dolo. It's awesome. You. So, it, it, listen, I know we talked about this many times in this podcast, people, but fucking watch Terriers because yeah. it's an amazing show and it deserves to stay on because it's good. So, thank uh, you. Yeah. hopefully, yeah. hopefully people will hopefully people will watch in our our little uh, podcast audience. And it was a genuine pleasure to meet thanks, you after all this time. Likewise, thank and you listeners, for thanks heart. for putting up with me because I really. Jennifer, should Jennifer, be here. Yeah. No, I really shouldn't be here, and, and I'm excited that I got to come to your show. This is Matt Myra. That's Joe Ray over there. This is the end of the Nerdist Podcast. Do you want to say it? No, it's all yours. It's your lot. You came up with it, though. No, but you always like to say it. Yeah, but you, it's your thing. <laughs> Enjoy your burrito. Okay. <laughs> nice. Now leaving Nerdist.com. This episode is brought to you by the effortlessly scrumptious bite of Skinny Pop Popcorn. Imagine this. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious kernels a symphony of just three simple ingredients, popcorn, sunflower oil, and a sprinkle of salt. No compromise, just pure snacking freedom. And hey, if you're up for a twist, dive into flavors like zesty white cheddar to sweet and salty kettle. Every bite's a delight, light and oh so tasty. Shop Skinny Pop now.